Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. I want to remind you, our goal is to teach as many people as possible how to make those decisions. One way you can help us, share our podcast and review it. Today we got started with Krista's favorite segment, Clark Stinks. Also, it's that time of year. Open enrollment for healthcare. I'm going to address that as well as your questions later in the show. Clark.com slash Clark Stinks is where you go and post when you feel I've uh, got a hole in my head, just not thinking clearly, I'm playing dumb, whatever. And Krista reads the posts, and I do learn from these posts, and shares highlights that have been posted over the week with you right here on Clark Stinks. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark, a couple about I-bonds when you talked about them. This one, 7% Series I savings bond overstates inflation. LOL, uh, no. Obviously, you have not bought anything this year. Actual inflation, not the cherry-picked cooked government number, will be nearly 30% this year. This isn't even debatable. You really need to get out more and read the New York Times less. Paul. And someone else wrote in um, and said that they thought you had the percentage rate wrong, that it's actually 0% base and then 3.5%? So uh, the rate, you, you annualize the rate because the rate sets for each six months on a Series I savings bond. So you take the rate they're stating, multiply times two to come up with the rate on a Series I savings bond, of which you can buy $10,000 worth at savingsbonds.gov, paying the best interest rates you can earn anywhere on completely safe investing. There are lots of, or it's not investing, on saving. And it's far preferable to CDs or savings accounts right now. You have to hold them for a period of time. The interest rates reset every six months. There's a lot of things to understand about Series I's, but they're great. Okay, on inflation. Inflation overall is not anywhere near 30%. Inflation is a real mixed bag. Uh, If you go buy gasoline, you're seeing the worst prices on gasoline in years and years and years. We're seeing the worst inflation we've had in the last 31 years. And certain segments of the economy getting pounded. Others, not really that much at all. You bake all that cake together, and we still have relatively high inflation to anything we've been used to since the early 1980s, so since about 1981. So we have a problem, and the problem is we have too much money floating around the economy. There was so much money that the feds pumped into the economy 
to try to rescue it during COVID. Other countries did the same thing. And we have all the supply chain disruptions. It's a train wreck on the inflation front. And it is not anything that I see as a permanent condition. I'll tell you why I don't think so. Because if you look at what economists look at, which is the 10-year treasury, and then in turn what's going on with mortgage rates, mortgage rates just went down a lot again. And they're back below 3% for people with solid credit. And the 10-year treasury has come down again because economists are looking at this in two ways. One, they're looking at inflation's an ugly problem right now, but they don't see the conditions that lead to long-term ugly inflation. Why? Because once you pull away the punch bowl, Federal Reserve has started doing this with the money it pumps in the economy. If the Congress will get its act together and stop deficit spending like they've been doing, that will also pull away some of the punch bowl and we can get to a more normal economy, plus the supply chain disruptions that have led to a lot of price increases, are something that will be solved. Capitalists will solve it. The free enterprise system will solve the supply chain issues. They're not going to solve them today. They're going to solve them tomorrow. But you'll see significant improvement through 22, and we will be a much more efficient system of manufacturing and distribution on the other side of this than we were prior to it. So do you think I like prices going up? You heard me whining about Dollar Tree (laughs) coming up with this special section where they're selling things for more than a dollar, which is heresy to me, and five below. My son was complaining. Five below now sells things for over 10 bucks. Its name is Five Below. (laughs) So there is real... There's a real inflation issue going on right now, and it is ugly right now, and there are people who are falling behind. Even with the pay increases have been the best in a long time in so many job categories, overall people are falling behind the current rate of inflation. So yes, there is inflation, but I disagree, Paul, about the level of inflation. And I wouldn't follow this in the New York Times. You follow this in Barron's. You follow this in Business Week. You follow this in the Financial Times of London, uh, the Wall Street Journal. You go to business-oriented publications, dig deep to see where things are and where we're likely going. While I don't think of you as an old guy, you sounded downright curmudgeonly the other day saying that people in their 20s don't read books. I'm 23 and greatly prefer my information to get my information from long-form articles and books, usually actual paper hard copies, than TikTok. I would definitely buy and read a book of your advice for recent grads and early career professionals. If you don't feel like writing any more books, that's your prerogative, but don't blame your decision on the reading habits of 20-somethings. Also, maybe if you don't want to write a new book, have your team freshen up and publish new editions of some of your older work. All you have to do is write a new introduction, Neva. Neva, thank you, and I apologize for sounding like an old curmudgeonly guy, (laughs) and I respect what you have said to me about this. Thank you. I'm not saying you stink, but taxes do. You have mentioned tipping often with cash. 
When we do this, the income largely goes unreported. This can add up to some tipped workers making tens of thousands of untaxed money. When they don't pay taxes, the rest of us pay more. Whenever possible, pay and tip with a credit card so everything is reported properly. As politicians say, come on, man, pay your fair share, sincerely overtaxed. So you bring up a a very reasonable point that if you talk to people who get tipped for a living, the cash tips they get, they're not reporting those, at least not in the number of dollars that they receive. The reason I talked about tipping in cash is I never know at a business when you tip on a credit card, is that actual worker getting that money or is it being scarfed away by the employer? There have been so many reports of employers running off with that money or only giving part of it to the employees. And so that's why I've had this bias about tipping in cash. By the way, I've noticed something today. So few people carry cash anymore that I've seen again and again where people list their Venmo or Cash App or Zelle to receive a tip electronically because people will say, oh, I don't have any money. This happens a lot to valets now, Mm -hmm. that someone will uh, go to get their car from the valet and they've got no money to tip that valet. Best thing is to park a mile away and walk and get exercise, and then you're not paying for parking. Yes, that's very true. Um, This is another one from, what should we call them, Clark's Car Kids, like the kids who have to listen in the car to to the podcast. (laughs) I think Clark stinks because my dad listens to it during every single car ride, and I have to listen to it too. So I think you should make it fun for kids like me who have to listen to it, and that's from Isabella. Isabella. Sorry, Isabella. I'm really, really sorry that your dad is clueless about how boring I am. And (laughs) it is true. I'm a very dull guy. I've said it many times. Your dad hasn't figured that out yet. You did. But I'll tell you something, Isabella. I have heard all through the years, because I've been doing this since uh, prehistoric times. My kids think I go all the way back to when dinosaurs roam the earth. I've been doing this since the mid-1980s. And There are a lot of kids who suffered like you did, like you are suffering right now, having to listen to me, who then later in life are amazed how much better they are with money because they had to hear all my propaganda stuck in the car (laughs) with a parent. I'm a pilot for United Airlines, and my son-in-law is a pilot for Delta Airlines. Yes, it makes for, for some very interesting, entertaining family dinner discussions. You stated that Delta was uniquely positioned for the increase in post-pandemic air travel, but I'd have to disagree. Delta Airlines did furlough some employees, of which my son-in-law was one of them, and as a pilot, he had to go back to training, which was five weeks, to get his currency up to date. United Airlines did offer some early retirements, but that but they did not furlough any pilots and kept all of them current on their assigned equipment, which I would argue put them in a better position for post-pandemic travel. Thanks again. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to your next podcast, and that's from Mark. Mark, thank you, and I'm not up to date on how much reserve capacity United is keeping in place for the winter season. The thing that I found remarkable about Delta is that, yes, Delta laid off so many people, Got well, they didn't lay them off, they got so many people to take volunteering leaves or early packages, that that's why Delta's had the worst problem of any airline in reservations, where people have waited 
uh, 12, 14, 16 hours on occasion to actually talk to somebody at reservations. But Delta with uh, flight attendants, pilots, mechanics, and spare aircraft is keeping huge reserve capacity available so that if a weather incident happens or whatever, that the number of passengers inconvenienced is reduced. Maybe United's doing the same thing, but I've read nothing in the industry publications I read about what United is doing with reserve capacity. The stench coming from my phone is just a little bothersome. The advice on a podcast before your vacation regarding buying a car through Costco. You left out one important detail. Costco charges the dealer a set fee. I believe it's about $250 that is passed on to the buyer of the car, and that is from Arthur. Arthur, okay. Thank you for pointing that out, and it's something that I have failed to do from time to time with any of the car buying services, uh, like any of the companies that work with True Car, as an example, is the dealers are paying some form of referral fee or equivalent of commission for the lead generated by whoever it is, whether it's your insurer or it's your warehouse club or whoever it is, there is money that's changing hands. For the dealers, the reason it's so valuable to have the, the Costco shoppers is they're one of the most affluent customer bases in the United States. And the transactions take a lot less time. So the 250 is something, if that is the exact number, that the dealers clamor. They fight to be the Costco dealer in each metro area for whatever brand they sell. Um, there are situations where a dealer will say, hey, you know, I have this other deal rather than using blah, blah, blah. And I guess if it saves you money, it saves them money. But the, the question always is, is that ethical or not, that they got the referral, excuse me, they got the referral through whoever, but then in turn, they're not paying the referral fee. Had a Bobby Brady moment there for a second. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> I know you don't love Apple, but I'm not ashamed to say I do. One thing we can probably agree on is that Apple's naming system sure has been a little confusing. I let this go the first two times you said this mistake, but I've heard it quite a few more times now. There's a big difference between Apple Pay and Apple Cash. Apple Pay is the great super secure way to pay using a credit card or hated debit cards. Apple Cash is the separate feature where you can load money onto a sort of bank account from a debit card or transfer from a checking account, then then allow it to act like a bank card and use the Apple Pay feature to then transfer money between people, or it could be used as a debit card with Apple Pay. I'm still confused. No, I got it. <laughs> I'm nervous that the mix between these items could cause confusion with your listeners with iPhones that may not know much about it. Love the show, and sorry for calling you out on this, Casey. No, Casey, that's great. Thank you. And I do have trouble with all the different payment systems getting the terminology right. And I thank you for explaining the difference between Apple Cash and Apple Pay. Apple Cash gives people the, the ability to do transactions much like they would with any other electronic form that would involve using a credit or debit card, but use cash as a way of being able to transmit payments. And it is a clever extension of the Apple Pay universe or ecosystem, ecosystem. 
Clark, you need to put your listening ears on. Often people ask a question and you answer a different question. Today was a perfect example. A man asked if he should have his kids pay for their own car insurance and cell phones to give them financial responsibility. Your response was a rambling answer about getting a deal on auto insurance and cell phones. That was not what he asked. The question was about giving his children financial responsibility. Please pay better attention to the questions so you can give appropriate answers. I also suggest that Krista helps keep you in line and not let you wander off the path. Jeff. So Jeff, I stink too. I'm sorry. No, but Jeff, I apologize. I remember that situation now. And that'll happen with me is that my mind kind of wanders about, well, you know what I really want to talk about is blah, blah, blah. And I don't answer the original question. So Jeff, that is a great suggestion that Krista, you're the one bring me back in focus okay. on the core of the question. I had a question for you. What have you done about health coverage for 22? Do you know there are special deals available potentially for you on health coverage in 22? I'm going to fill you in. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I wanted you to know that there's a special deal for health insurance for 2022. It is part of the relief that Congress has passed that is like the final phase of pandemic relief legislation that's been passed. I assume it's the final and it allows for people further up the income scale to get significant subsidies on the cost of health insurance for individuals and for families in 22. And as best I know, this is only for 22, although you don't know what a future Congress might do. If someone is at the lower end of the income spectrum, there are specific benefits for 22 that eliminate most large deductibles that health plans would have that you buy at healthcare.gov or the state equivalent exchange. And so you're not going to have the big, big out-of-pocket. In addition, it's possible that the premiums will be nearly or at zero cost for you because your fellow taxpayers will be picking up the cost of your health care premiums for 22. For middle-income people, which includes families up to about $90,000 a year, there are big subsidies on the health care premiums just for 22. So if you've looked in the past at getting health coverage from healthcare.gov, and you were like, this is idiotic, the premiums are sky high, the out-of-pocket ginormous, 22 will be a different year for middle-income and lower-income taxpayers. Higher-income taxpayers, really no change of note. The other thing that has changed is that the number of plans available in most states, is much larger 
422 than it's been in prior years. There's more competition for signups from people. And I don't know what is behind the curtain why more health insurers are participating in more places around the country for 2022. But the reality is this is a deal this year, this year coming up. You just have to enroll by mid-December. And you do this, again, you start at healthcare.gov. And when you go there, you put in your zip. If your state has its own separate exchange, you'll then be directed to it. But the subsidies that are available just for 22 are available either at a state-run exchange or if a state does not participate with its own exchange at the federal exchange, healthcare.gov. The other thing that's fantastic for 22, that's when the surprise medical billing law goes into effect, where if you are in a hospital, in an emergency situation, or a variety of situations where you're having a surgery, and in the past you've had to deal with these surprise bills, surprise bills are not going to exist in most circumstances anymore thanks to an act of Congress. This is way overdue. This was a cynical game that doctors, hospitals, and insurers were playing with your and my wallet, and it's coming to a halt years too late, but it is going to be a big advantage to you. There will be hospitals that will be defiant. There will be medical practices that will be defiant. You are going to have to potentially assert your rights to make sure that you don't get hit with surprise medical bills that most often involve certain specialties where the doctors or doctor groups have chosen not to participate as in-network providers, in some cases with anybody's health plan, so that they can bill at much higher rates. And that's what's being brought to an end. And again, this is way past too late for this to happen. And it's about time it is going to happen. But you are going to have to know an informed medical customer. That's what you and I are, by the way. We are customers when we use medicine. You're going to have to know your rights and know how to use them. Krista? Well, on a related note, Matt in Arizona wrote in and said, what's with all the celebrity-endorsed commercials pushing additional free benefits to those with Medicare, especially during the healthcare open enrollment season? Are these legitimate companies? Okay, so let me tell you this story. There's a product that is massively profitable for insurers and some players in the healthcare industry. This applies to people that are 65 and older. And they're known as Advantage plans. Advantage plans are something that are a terrible choice for people who have a decent amount of money. Because someone with a decent amount of money is much better off in traditional Medicare. In uh, Medicare Part B, D, and having a Medigap plan as well. So typically... You want a a G plan if you are of means. And by means, I don't mean somebody who's filthy rich. I mean somebody who can afford the premiums for part B as in boy, D as in dog, 
and uh, Medigap, preferably G. The Advantage plans promote themselves as a free lunch. That all these other things you might have to pay premiums for or pay for, we're going to take care of them for you. But how do they take care of them? By extreme restrictions on your care, where you can see, seek it, who you can see, uh, what care you get if you're outside of your zip code. They also handcuff you, and that once you're in an Advantage plan, it's Hotel California. You can check out, but Boy. you can never leave. So I am very anti-Advantage plans because they pretend it's like a, you know, it's like a magician. Yeah, look over here, look over here when the real action's over here. So if you are really tight on money and you're not that mobile, you're not planning to be over here or over there, travel this place or that place, an Advantage plan, if you're willing to give up so much freedom of choice, you can go in an Advantage plan and it will up front cost you less money. But here's where the chips are really down with this. And this is why I want you to know, be wary of all those celebrity endorsers. When you go in an Advantage plan, let's say you have a particular illness that is life-threatening. The reality is for different forms of cancer, different illnesses you might have, there are medical centers that are better at care for those conditions than others. If you're in an Advantage plan, you may be prohibited from going to a facility where they can save your life versus one where they'll say, go have a nice life, make sure you have all your affairs in order because we're clueless how to treat this or that or the other form of cancer or other illness you might have. So an Advantage plan is, in my book, in my mind, a disadvantage plan. Be careful, be wary when you sign up for one. Now, every time I've bashed Advantage plans, I've had people who've taken a front to it who are in Advantage plans and have been very, very happy. Again, if you have an Advantage plan that has worked really well for you, great. Just know there are other people who it's ended up being a life and death consequence being in an Advantage plan. On a much lighter note, I thought you'd enjoy yeah, this one. that was pretty serious. Sorry <laughs> about that. Talking about life and death and blah, blah, blah. Got to noodle this one from Zeke in Georgia. My family is flying into LaGuardia for the Thanksgiving holiday. Renting a car for the four days is almost $800, and I looked into Turo, but it appears they don't deliver to the airport. My problem is we are a family of five traveling to Danbury, Connecticut, and it's about an hour and some change from LaGuardia. We don't need a car once up there, and the car service is slightly over $200 each way. We have a one-way. We arrive at 9.30 p.m. confirmation for the car service, but I don't feel like spending that much for an hour's drive. I'm, I think we'll take the train back to the city and find our way to LaGuardia, but am I missing something for the trip up to Connecticut? No, you're thinking about this right. Now, you could take an Uber, Lyft, or uh, one of those yellow things <laughs> they used to have a lot of in New York called taxis. Uh, and take the train to Connecticut from Grand Central. And the trains run, I'm trying to think how late the last trains are to Connecticut. I think they're like 12.30 in the morning maybe. Uh, but to keep it simple, you could take the car service to Connecticut, spending the 200 one-way plus tip. 
You could then take the train into the city at the end of your time in Connecticut and then get to LaGuardia a number of ways. If you want to really be cheap, you can take the, um, the subway into Queens and then take the M60 bus um, to LaGuardia Airport from, I think it's the N&W line, you get off is it Astoria, Queens. Anyway, I've done this many times. Easy yes, to I've done it with line. you. <laughs> yeah, you were not happy with no, me any of the times. No, it was fine. It was fine. And uh, there's now two buses that are queues that go from a different line up to LaGuardia Airport. And I've done all of them. It's pretty simple. It takes longer. Or with five people, just take a, a Uber or Lyft XL and pay that money and go straight to the airport. It would be quicker. From Eric in Massachusetts, you recently talked about debt collection, and I have a question. For years now, I get mail monthly from a debt collector for someone with a similar name to me, but the first name spelled different and a different middle name. I've called the number on their letter multiple times and returned their letters telling them they have the wrong person, but they just won't stop. Is there anything I can do, or should I just keep throwing them away? So, Eric, first thing I want you to do is I want you to track your credit reports to make sure that you're not being reported as a delinquent for this item on your credit files because that will eat you up. Um, the law is weird about this. Okay, if you were the person who actually owed the money, you have the right under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act to write a simple letter. I call a drop-dead letter. We have a sample of it on Clark.com that once you've notified a collection agency, they can't ever contact you again by mail, by phone call, by text, by social media, nothing. They're out. They can sue you against the debt, but they can't bother you anymore. They can't contact you anymore. This was never anticipated under the statute that collectors would contact the wrong person with same or similar name, and the law is silent on you having the right to stop somebody from harassing you about a debt that is not yours. So the important thing I want you to do is make sure that their mess up and who actually owes the money is not fouling up your credit. Then there's a whole different conversation you and I have to have about how you clean that up. And I want to tell you, if we didn't get to your question, there's advice you want. We offer free one-on-one advice. And this has been a service we've offered for almost 29 years now. You can get advice from the Team Clark Consumer Action Center from 10 in the morning Eastern till 4 in the afternoon Eastern time by calling 636-49-CLARK.